far fades and the grass withers, but the word of our God endures forever. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You have seen for yourself what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. And so Moses went down from the mountain and to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, Since the reading of God's word this morning, let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. God, who can stand your voice? We could not stand before you, Lord, and see you or hear your voice unless you first made us worthy and able to. So, Father, we ask this morning that as you speak to us, your spirit would lift us up, that you would make us worthy to be in your presence that you would speak to us, Lord, and that you would lead us to Jesus, who is our holiness, our salvation, our mediator. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
So at some point, everyone is going to come face to face with God. Everyone is going to. You're going to see God face to face, whether you want to or not. Some people want to, right? They, they pray and ask, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Uh, reveal yourself to me. I want to see you. We have stories in Scripture of men like Moses saying, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, you, you can't. Um, I'll give you a taste. I'll give you a glimpse. But even that will be almost too much for you. Because what happens when we come face to face with God, several things happen. First is everything that we have assumed about Him, everything that we have believed falsely about Him, everything we've been told about Him that's a lie, it all melts away. Because when you stand face to face with God, you see Him. There's no false assumptions that you can make, there's no lies that you can believe about Him, not when you're face to face with who He is. But another thing happens too. Is when you come face to face with God, in the light of His holiness, you see yourself for what you are. In the light of His perfection and His power, it reveals just how unholy and filthy and weak we really are. So how could any person stand before God? How could any of us come into God's presence and stand before Him and see Him? We can't. We are not worthy to. We're not holy. And God is too powerful and too perfect. God's holiness, while it is beautiful, is also a threat to those who are unholy. And so how can we come before Him? How, what stops Him from wiping us off the face of the earth? Well, for Israel, in Exodus 19, two things prevent that from happening. The first is that they had external boundaries that protected them from God breaking out against them, which means that there were boundaries that God put in place so that they could come as close as they could. But the second was that even still, they can't come into His presence. They can't come to talk to him, to see him face to face. But someone has to. Someone has to ascend the mountain. And so the second thing that the Lord provides for them is a mediator. Someone who will ascend the mountain for them. See God face to face. Deal with God in all of his power and glory and holiness. But someone who can walk away alive. That's what Israel needs. So through these external boundaries and through a mediator, Israel is able to be brought into a covenant relationship with the Lord. But in Exodus 19, their covenant connection to him is still fragile. As we'll see, their covenant connection to the Lord will not last. That what happens here in Exodus 19 is not meant to be the final stage of God's people's relationship to him. This is not the final covenant that he will make. In fact, the covenant he makes today will be broken. But one day, he will bring a new mediator. There will be a new exodus and a new covenant. So this passage is pointing us to look, not to Moses, not to the law given at Sinai for, our, for protection. Instead, we look to something better. And we'll see that today, that... 
where this passage is pushing us is to say, you and I, we are the Lord's treasured and holy people because our covenant mediator has ascended the mountain of God's judgment. You are the Lord's holy and treasured people because your covenant mediator has ascended the mountain of God's judgment. So that's what we will see and unpack this morning. So the story picks up in verse 1 and 2. Where now Israel, after having defeated Amalek and after all the events of chapter 18 where Jethro comes and sees and rejoices at the gospel, and Jethro gives advice and saying, here's how you should organize uh, your, your people and how you should worship, how you should lead. And we saw how we needed leaders, right? Without leaders, without godly leaders, our faith quickly withers. But with them, we have peace. We have shalom. And so now the story returns to where Exodus has been pushing us since the beginning. They set out from Rephidim and they come to Mount Sinai. And this is the moment where everything comes full circle and now a new era of Exodus has begun. Because back in chapter 3, verse 12, God said that the sign that he was going to give Moses was that when he had brought Israel out of Egypt, they should worship God on that mountain. And the mountain that the Lord was talking about was where he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Uh, It's where the rock was struck and waters ran forth, and it's Mount Sinai. This is the mountain of God. This is where he has been drawing Israel since the beginning. And now that the story has come full circle, now we begin something new. And we begin to find out what this era, what this age of Israel's history will be like from verse 3. This is where we start to hear it. And it says, Now Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel... Now, the reason the Lord calls them the house of Jacob is because Jacob, throughout the Old Testament, is a symbol. And he's a symbol. He stands for the servant of Yahweh. Which means that back when God said, remember, he told Pharaoh, let my people go, he said, so that they may serve me. In other words, what he's saying is, Israel is my firstborn son who I have set free from Exodus, uh, from Egypt, to come to me in order to serve me. So he calls them the house of Jacob, the servants of Yahweh. He's saying to his people, you are my servants. I have rescued you. And now, here's what I've done for you. Verse 4. You have seen for yourself what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You have seen how God has has struck Egypt. You have seen the price paid for your redemption. You have seen how God has delivered you through the Red Sea and through the wilderness. And you have seen how God has brought you to himself. That is what he has done for you. And then he turns and says, And now here's what you must do for me as my servants in response to what I have done. Verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, we'll come back to these verses in a minute and unpack them a little bit more. But for right now, just notice one thing. 
Israel will be the Lord's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, if they obey. You will be my treasured possession if you keep my covenant. The covenant that the Lord is talking about is what he will then give to them over the next four or five chapters. It's the covenant at Sinai, what we called in Sunday school back uh, last, I guess it was um, uh, back in the spring, we called it the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant at Sinai. That this covenant is what Paul called the law. Because it begins with the Ten Commandments and he shows through the law how Israel is to live as his redeemed servants, as people brought out from Egypt. Here is how they are to live, how they are to serve God. And Paul says that the law was given to Israel as a guardian. He says that in Galatians 3. In other words, God is giving Israel laws and commanding them to obey them for their good. He's saying, this law that I'm giving you will be for your protection. And naturally we ask, okay, why? What is he protecting us from? And the answer is himself. Verse 4, again, you have seen for yourself what I did to the Egyptians. Israel has already seen God's power and God's judgment against sin up close. Israel has, has seen front and center what happens to people who refuse and disobey him, to people who break his law. They know that God and sin cannot coexist. And so the covenant that, that the Lord gives to Israel will provide external boundaries so that Israel can dwell in God's presence without his judgment falling upon them. And so the Mosaic Covenant provides not just rules to live by, but it provides sacrifices to atone for sin. It provides ways that you can be cleansed, ways that you can be brought into God's presence, all because sin and God can't coexist. So sin has to be dealt with. And the law, the covenant that Israel is to keep, provides those boundaries So that Israel can be protected. That if they want to be in God's presence, they have to keep the covenant. And Israel understands this and they agree to it. Verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, they say, we accept the terms of the covenant. But the Lord gives one more layer of protection too. It's not just an external boundary of a law that they can keep that allows them to be in God's presence, a way to deal with their sin, but he also gives them a way that they can see God face to face without him destroying them. And it's through a mediator. It's through Moses. Now, in in modern America, when I say mediator, you probably think, okay, a neutral party, right? Someone who's in the middle, he's helping to bring compromise or to resolve uh, two people who have disagreements. That's what we generally think of, of a mediator. But that's not what a biblical covenantal mediator does. To find out what a covenantal mediator does, we can look at Moses as an example, 
He's not a perfect example, but he's the beginning of one. What does he do? He stands between God and the people. He is a layer of protection. That God doesn't speak directly to the people. Instead, he speaks to Moses. And the people don't come up the mountain. Notice throughout this whole chapter, the people do not go up the mountain. Only Moses does. And he does that because he's their mediator. He's their representative. He is the one who carries them with him. So that whatever Moses does, the people do. If Moses obeys, the people have obeyed. If Moses fails, the people fail. If God speaks to Moses, he's speaking to the people. And so Moses is the one who has to face God. And as we'll see later in the chapter, you don't want that job. This is not a glorious job. This is a terrifying job. So through these two means, the boundaries of the law and the mediation of Moses, Israel is brought into covenant with God. And through these things, what this means is that they, as a people, they are set apart. Back in verse uh, 5, the Lord says, If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What the Lord is saying is that, God is saying, I could have anybody. The whole earth belongs to me. I could have anybody I want. But I chose you. And he's saying, you were slaves. Who did you belong to before? Pharaoh. Whose kingdom were you in? Pharaoh's. Was that a good kingdom? No. That was a terrible kingdom. And instead, what the Lord does is he brings them out of the world... And he brings them into his kingdom. A kingdom where not only are they brought in, but just to be slaves again. But he says they were brought in to be priests, which is high and lofty station. He's saying, you were lowly. You were the, the lowest rung of society. And I have lifted you up to be priests in my kingdom. I have chosen you. I have loved you. I have treasured you. I have made you holy. Which means he has made them able to be in his presence. And holiness is incredibly important. It's so important that Hebrews twelve fourteen says that without holiness, no one will see God. Which means that if you're not holy, you can't see him. Not that you're blind or that he's invisible to you. What that means is that if you were to see him and you're not holy, you will be destroyed. Because God's holiness cannot abide with unholiness. And so that's why the Lord tells Moses to consecrate the people in verse 10. It says, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. In other words, they're about to see God. 
And they need to be holy in order to do that. So that's what consecration means. It means to make holy. To set apart. I'm not saying he's gonna, I'm going to make you perfect. I'm not saying I'm going to deal with sin. It's dealing with unholiness, uncleanness, filthiness, worldliness. Saying you're, you're leaving the world. You're coming to somewhere else. You're going to be touching realities and seeing realities that are beyond the material. And again, they're being made holy for their own protection. They're being consecrated so that they can see God, but even still, they only get to see Him from a distance. Because in verses 12 and 13, the Lord says, You'll set limits for the people, saying, Don't go up the mountain, don't touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the edge of it shall be destroyed. And even if a beast should touch the, touch the mountain, it shall be destroyed too. Because God's holiness is dangerous. And simply to see Him, even from far away, requires consecration. But even still, even though they're seeing God from far away, even still, they're not seeing Him directly. Because God says to Moses, right, in... Um, I forget which verse it is. In verse 9... The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. So Israel is going to be far away. And even what they will see of God is going to be obscured by clouds, by thick clouds. One way to translate that is by cloudy clouds, which I think is cute. Um, The point being, he's so obscured. But even to see God from such a distance and so hidden and obscured requires uh, consecration. But the reason why nobody is allowed to touch the mountain, the reason why no one is allowed to go up the mountain, the reason why no one is allowed to see God face to face, is because there's a deeper problem than just dirty clothes and outward consecration. Because what Moses can do is he can wash the outside. What the law can do is the law can correct the outside. But there's a problem that the law can't fix, that Moses can't fix. Because look at verse 14. The people are consecrated, but all they do is they wash their garments. They wash the outside. But this is like washing the outside of a Tupperware that has had spaghetti sauce stains on the inside. That doesn't clean it. It's still gross in the middle. Still gross on the inside. And similarly, the consecration that the law and Moses can give are only on the outside. They can't get at the heart because the real problem is that we are broken. It's that sinful people cannot see God. And so someone needs to fix that if we're to actually see God face to face. And I mean truly face-to-face. That requires more than outward holiness. That requires perfect holiness. So the physical boundaries around the mountain 
and the physical consecration are meant to point to the need for a spiritual consecration, for someone to go to God for us. For someone to look at God on our behalf, to deal with our sin and our holiness. And there is no law, there's no man who can do that. Because the penalty for even the slightest defect is death. Not even an animal right, that touches the mountain is allowed to live, according to verse 13. And add to that how the Lord appears. Is that even though the Lord warns Israel, right, don't come to the mountain, don't come up the mountain, it's, it's a little bit unnecessary. Because <laughs> how God appears, I don't think anyone's going to want to go. Because look at what he says in verse 16. How God appears. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. But God answered him in thunder. So God appears in thunder and in lightning, obscured. By a thick cloud, deafening trumpet blast that you can feel in your bones, volcanic smoke and fire, and not even the mountain itself can stop from trembling in fear. These are judgment signs. Think about how God in Revelation and throughout Scripture talks about the end times. When God returns to the world, how will He appear? Thunder, lightning, darkness covering the sky, fire and brimstone falling from heaven, and a trumpet blast that is heard around the world. These are the signs of judgment. Where creation herself will tremble at the coming of her God. And guess who gets to walk up the mountain and see this God face to face. Good old Moses. Do you see now why maybe you don't want that job? Because who wants to walk up and see this God? That's right. You don't want to. No one can stand before God in all of his power and all of his judgment. But someone has to. And in Exodus 19, Moses does, but the message he receives is still one of warning. Then in the next couple of verses, the Lord reminds Israel that if any break through to the Lord, he will break out against them, which is another judgment language. He will break out as though his judgment was barely contained. I think one reason the Lord reminds Israel again of why they are not to touch the mountain is to show them how fragile their relationship with him really is. And how dangerous that is. That as things stand right now in Exodus 19, this is not sustainable. 
That's a lesson Israel will have to learn time and time again. Think of the priest who put his hand out to stop the ark of God from falling into the dirt. And God broke out against him and killed him. That's how tenuous, how thin the relationship is. How dangerous it is. Think of Israel time and time again testing God, disobeying, following false gods that have no power. And in the end, Israel will not obey the covenant. They will not keep it. And they lose their status as God's treasured possession. Because the exile of Israel out of the promised land is an undoing of the exodus. It is a reversal of the exodus. Because in the exodus, God takes his people out from the nations, out of slavery, and brings them to him. In the exile, he throws them out from his presence and scatters them to the nations from from whence they came. They become slaves again. But the surprising part is not that Israel failed. The surprising part is not that they broke the covenant and the exodus was undone. The surprising part is what God does after that. In fact, God promises in Haggai 2 to once again shake the earth like he did in Sinai. But this time... He will shake the earth so that all the treasures of all the nations shall flow into his house. What treasures are those, you ask? It's you. You are the treasure. You are the people that God shook the earth in order to bring to his house. But not like he did with Israel. Because when God shook the world and brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to himself and said, If you obey, you'll be my treasured possession. Now he says to you, If you believe, you'll be my treasured possession. In other words, your status as God's people is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon someone else. It's dependent upon a mediator. Someone who walked up the hill of God's judgment on your behalf. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Jacobean servant that Isaiah predicted would come to to bear the sins of God's people, he walked up the mountain He came face to face with God and all of his power and all of his judgment and the earth shook. And Jesus died. God's judgment broke out against him. And that was the cross on the mountain of Golgotha. But it was there that he represented you. So that when your mediator walked up the hill and came face to face with God's judgment and bore your sins and your filthiness, and when he died, 
your sin died with him. When his blood was spilled, his blood cleanses you. His blood consecrates you. And this blood of Jesus does not wash the outside. Hebrews says it washes the inside. That when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he dealt with that problem. That problem, that spiritual problem, that there's a barrier between us and God that we cannot get through. That we have to be made perfect in order to see God face to face. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He made you perfect. He gave you his righteousness. He washes you with his blood. And what that means is that you get to come into God's presence and you get to see him face to face without any fear. You get to come to the mountain of God. And not Mount Sinai, wrapped in smoke where God is hidden, where God's judgment is threatening to break out against you at any moment. You get to come to a different one. We've mentioned it throughout our service several times today. You get to come to Mount Zion. That's what we're doing today. Because when you come to worship on Sunday morning, you're coming up a mountain. You're walking up Mount Zion, and you get to be face-to-face with your God. And He meets you. Not in fire and brimstone. He meets you and says... You are my treasured possession. You are my people. I have carried you on eagles' wings from all the nations. I valued you so highly I gave up my son. Not because you have so much value in yourself. You were slaves. You were a slave to your sin. God has set you free. So when we come to worship God, we come as his redeemed people. And we are not afraid of losing our status by our obedience or by our sins because Jesus Christ has already dealt with God's judgment. You are now set free to serve God. Not in fear. Not because God could break out at you at any moment. You're set free to worship and serve God out of gratitude, out of love, out of a desire to serve Him. And that desire comes from Him. So do not be afraid anymore. Do not be afraid to confess your sins to God. Do not be afraid to call upon Him. Jesus Christ has walked up the mountain for you. Let us rejoice. Let us give thanks. Let us worship Him. And let us serve Him. Almost forgot. All this points to something we're about to do in a couple minutes. We get to baptize Cyrus today. We get to see. We have to see a child who passed from death to life. Whose heart stopped. 
And the Lord brought him back and claimed him. We get to see him baptized today. Which is a picture of God saying, this is my child. This is my treasured possession. Because in baptism we get to see God saying, I have washed you. I cleanse you. I bring you to myself. So I'd like to invite the Cheneys forward this morning and the elders so that we may baptize little, little Cyrus. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you again. And we ask that you would work these words deep in our heart, that we are your treasured possession, that we are your servants. Father, please give us hearts of gratitude that we would serve you without a care for what people would think. And we would serve you uh, even at the expense of all of our the things that we would want to love and hold on to that are not you. Lord, may you lead us to Jesus over and over and over again, that we would keep learning how, how much you have done for us. Thank you, God, again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.